Christian doctrine is so black and white that it almost always leaves the believer in the dust with no other alternative than to, quote, give it over to Jesus when we get hurt, abused, or legitimately offended. I wear my heart on my sleeve a lot on this show, and I think that it's important that people understand that the voice coming through their speakers is attached to a human being. And I've made a lot of mistakes, and this is one of them, and I can tell you it's just not worth it. These are not things that you are taught when you're in the thick of it. You're not taught to look at what the personal benefits are of forgiveness beyond the fact that you won't be thrown into hell. Forgiveness helps us keep a more balanced perspective on things and allows us to allow others a little slack once in a while. You're usually the only one who suffers when you harbor unforgiveness, when you harbor anger toward evil. The benefit is in how you feel when you opt to forgive. Welcome to Unbound podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get unbound. So we woke up a few days ago to a much brighter picture of America. Yeah. We now return you to the American experiment, and hopefully we will start seeing some progress again. That would be nice. So we did it. Those of us who voted, we did it. Yes. And I mean, I'm I'm still disappointed with the sheer number of votes that the other guy got. Yeah. But the bottom line is that it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. And in this instance, uh, majority actually did rule. Yeah. So these are two very, very good things. And I'm looking forward to good things happening over the next couple of months. I watched a video yesterday of Kenneth Copeland (laughs) absolutely guffawing at the idea that Donald Trump isn't going to be president in two months. Well, you know, you can laugh it off all you want and anyone else can laugh it off all they want. But this is a thing that is happening. He will be leaving the White House on the 19th or 20th of next month. And Joe Biden was pretty direct when he was posed the question of what happens if this guy decides he's not going to leave. And he was very matter-of-fact about it. He just said, well, the U.S. government is well-equipped for dealing with trespassers in the White House. That's it. And, you know, that's really the bottom line. You can continue living in your fairy tale if you were one of his supporters. You can continue living in this mindset that it's not over. But let's just go right on record here. It's over. Yeah. And I'm really, really pleased with the way things went. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this week, we are going to get right into the heart of our message. And that message is one about the importance of forgiveness and why Christians in general are not very good at it. And there are multiple reasons why Christians have trouble with the concept of forgiveness, this is something that I've made mention of before. Like many, many episodes back, I made the claim that your average Christian is not wired for forgiveness and that Christians in general are some of the worst forgivers out there. Mm. And it's true, but there are reasons for that. Let's take a quick look before we do anything else here. Let's start out by looking at one of the key passages in the Bible that outline the reason why it's important as a Christian to forgive. Matthew 18, 21 through 35, tells the parable of the unforgiving servant. And the story goes like this, reading from the King James. Then Peter came to him and said, 
Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So 490 then. That's mm. that's Jesus's calculation. <laughs> Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. See, Jesus was okay with slavery too. Mm. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence and laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to his tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. So that right there is pretty straightforward. I'll forgive you, but I expect you to forgive too. Right. It seems so straightforward, doesn't it? But in reality, that's not what happens. That's almost never what happens. So we know that forgiveness is mandatory for the Christian, and this includes evangelicals. Mm -hmm. Every flavor is involved. <laughs> but as I said before, Christians are among the most unforgiving people out there, and there are reasons for this that often have nothing specific to do with the individual. It's almost pure programming, and most don't realize how unforgiving they actually are. So let's take a look at some of the reasons why Christians don't forgive. And this can apply to other people, but in, in this particular structure of things, I think that these points are significant. Let's talk about bitterness and inability to simply let things go. Christians, in general, are stellar at being offended and staying offended. Mm -hmm. um, it's more of that childlike faith, and that's where that comes from. You start looking at things not from a childlike perspective, like I've said before, but from a very childish one. So you stay offended, and a lot of times it's over a lot of pettiness, a lot of non-life-threatening, non-life-altering things. People just latch onto their grudges and they run with them. And Christians are really, really, really good at this. Then there's the notion of resentment. Most Christians realize that if the offender, the person who offended them, simply repents as a matter of their own doctrine and belief, that person is forgiven. Many Christians have a huge problem with Jesus overruling their judgment, making the offender whole while leaving them broken. And they use this as an excuse not to forgive. Then there's the notion of power. And this is actually a quote from a Baptist blog <laughs> called Baptist Messenger at baptistmessenger.com. And just a quick little quote here. We don't forgive because we overestimate our role in the spiritual transformation process of others. 
In other words, Christians are happier letting their God deal with the problem. And if they're honest, they see the offender, they want to see the offender suffer for what they did. This is what the real role in the spiritual consequences of the offense is perceived to be by the Christian. I can keep God angry at this person if I refuse to forgive. Um, you might want to read your Bible again. And just so we all stay on the same page, remember our talk about the word faith movement? Mm -hmm. Well, being able to control God is a common word faith concept. Yeah. So it permeates a lot of the thinking in these kinds of circles. Then there's the concept of hatred. We've talked about the backward nature of how Christians view love. They are programmed to hate, and forgiveness and hate just don't go well together. This makes honest forgiveness extremely difficult for the average evangelical Christian because it's difficult to reconcile it in their own heads. Then there are the ones that try to take more of a little bit of a then there are the ones that take a little bit more of a moral high ground with this. And they say things like, I can say I forgive, but I'd be lying. Many Christians choose the honesty of unforgiveness over the lie of fake absolution. Over time, and usually a very short time, if you say you forgive someone, but you don't, your real feelings and sentiments will surface. They know this, and many will hold grudges to force the appearance of piety, which is incredible, but it's just another manifestation of that kind of backward thinking that is very prevalent in evangelical thought. Then there's arrogance and entitlement. These are two other things that evangelicals have pretty much cornered the market on. And these toxic principles are also built into their doctrine. Even those who know and understand what their own Savior says about forgiveness don't think that they'll suffer any consequence for withholding it. No sin is too big for God to forgive. God knows I'm a sinner. I've repented and continue to repent of my sins. So that should just take care of it, right? right. Well, there are a couple of problems here. For starters, their God demands forgiving others to secure their own forgiveness. We see this in Matthew 18. Not only that, but God incentivizes forgiving. In Luke 6.37, it says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So there's incentive to have that forgiving spirit, but very few of them have it. Thirdly, their God warns that they could be disowned for not being 100% genuine in their faith. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and I think I've brought these verses up before on this show, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And I do think that principles like unforgiveness and some of the other hypocritical things that evangelicals do as part of their nature are supposed to be covered by this. Right. But like we talked about last week, people are just going to do what they want. And that really is the bottom line. These verses acknowledge that and say, yeah, you can do what you want, but there are going to be some pretty hefty consequences. And then there's 1 John 2, 4 that says, anyone who says he loves God and doesn't do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. <laughs> Finally, on this list, this was the one thing that actually was running through my head a lot was the concept of unconfessed sin. So harboring grudges and hatred and unforgiveness is considered in a lot of these circles to be a sinful mindset. 
Right. And the Bible is pretty clear that unconfessed sin is not forgiven by default. Hebrews 10.26 says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So basically, this is another one of those verses that just blows up the whole concept of salvation by grace, because it says right here in the words of this verse that there's give and take involved with this, and that you have to make some changes and you have to be committed to thinking and living a certain way if you really expect that God is going to hold up his end of the bargain. And then in John 3.36, it's amazing to me how we go in this particular chapter from the message of being born again to this. But it says in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So if you are a believer, then you have to do what God says. You go back to 1 John 2.4, if you say that you love God and that you love Jesus, then do what he says. And then this verse in John is saying, because if you don't, then you're subject to God's wrath. Then there's Romans 8.13, for if you live according to the flesh, which is considered sinful, if you live according to sin, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what sins are people forgiven of in evangelical terms? It's an important question. Right. And it's one where there is a lot of disagreement. It goes back to the Baptist telling me once saved, always saved. And then the Pentecostals saying, oh, no, that's not how it works. You actually can lose your salvation. So there are two main opinions on what sins are forgiven. It's either all the sins that you will ever commit, or it's all the sins you've committed up to the point where you were saved. If every sin you've ever committed and will commit later is already forgiven, being a forgiving person yourself is not necessary. This is why so many Christians adhere to a more provisional view of salvation and why it's necessary to repent over and over and over again and keep rededicating your life because it's provisional. The sins that you committed up to the point where you prayed that prayer are forgiven, but anything else beyond that is fair game and God can use it against you. But here, in my opinion, are some of the real reasons or, or the number one reason that most Christians think that it's okay not to forgive. Let's say a person has a beef with someone else that he or she doesn't want to let go of. So what do they do? They go into their prayer closet and they start praying, Dear God, I'm sorry I've neglected to forgive my brother. Help me find a way to forgive him and love him. Well, we all know what happens next, don't we? God does nothing. The person feels no different. Forgiving becomes no easier. And they stop consciously trying to forgive. The excuse then becomes, God knows my intent here. He knows I want to forgive. I've asked for help with this. It's in his hands now. So there's your scapegoat. It's at this point where God is beaten at his own game. All of a sudden, that person does not have to forgive. This is what you get when you tell people they can take all of their own defects of character and lay them at the foot of the cross. If an unforgiving spirit is one of those defects and you've confessed your unforgiveness, your unforgiveness is thereby validated through the atonement, isn't it? It would have to be. Withholding forgiveness at that point ceases to be a sin. Do you see where the toxicity gets a foothold here? Mm -hmm. It's sick. It's absolutely sick thinking, but it is a valid scapegoat if you follow their quote unquote logic. Right. 
it is a valid scapegoat. So this, I think, is the number one thing that keeps Christians from forgiving and tells them that it's okay to not forgive. Mm -hmm. Now, are there instances where it is okay to withhold forgiveness? Yes, there absolutely are, and we're going to get to that. But keeping on course with the current thought, this is kind of a nefarious way of getting around forgiving anybody of anything. So we're not even talking about big offenses versus small offenses, life-changing offenses versus petty offenses. Everything falls under this cover at this point, and they don't have to forgive because they've already repented of their unforgiveness, and now it's up to God to change them, right. and we all know where that goes. <laughs> now, to be fair, there are also some pretty glaring issues with the concept of forgiveness. Living a constant mindset of forgiveness, for starters, is neither natural nor practical. We do not have the capacity to instantly forgive. It's not the way our brains work. We need time to be hurt. We need time to be angry. We need to be okay with these things and allow ourselves to work through the situation our own way and at our own pace. That's an important part of it. But here's the thing. We also can't hide behind these things. I'm still processing all of this. Doesn't work for decades on end. Eventually, we have to stop dredging up old memories without an escape plan and really deal with the emotions. It's important. We will never heal if we just keep hiding behind, I'm still processing this. What, right. what you're saying at that point is, I don't feel like forgiving. Right. I don't feel like getting past this. How long do you spend processing? Because if it goes on for too long, then you may need help processing it. And here's another thing. We might not be able to forgive. There are some people that just aren't wired for it. Some people literally never get past that processing stage. Their brains fixate on the offense and never get over it, work through it, or get past it. This doesn't make it okay if situationally it's something that can or should be forgiven. And this right here is where therapy comes in. Right. This is where that help comes from. Mm -hmm. And it should be something that you are seeking, something that you are working your way through. Because the only way that you're going to process some of these things is if you have someone around you who can take an objective look right. at the things that are going on in your head and provide you with a little bit of a roadmap or at very least get you thinking in more rational and closure-driven terms about it. Now, I said a moment ago that there are instances where forgiveness is inappropriate, and that is very true. I do not think it's necessary for an abused partner to keep forgiving the abuser over and over again. I don't think a rape victim should ever be expected to forgive her rapist. These are extreme examples but there are instances where withholding forgiveness is logical and pretty much inevitable. Right. I don't care what you believe on a spiritual level. There are certain things that just can't be worked past and you cannot provide this person with absolution. The hurt runs too deep. What they did was, was too, was too egregious right. and there's just no avenue to forgiveness. Well, there are no contingencies with these types of things in Christianity. No. The Christian is expected to forgive her rapist, okay? Mm -hmm. The Christian is expected to forgive her abuser and keep going back for more. Don't divorce him. Just mm -hmm. forgive him and pray that God changes him. 
Yeah, bullshit. It's not going to happen. Well, that's since all sins are considered equally terrible Mm -hmm. because the smallest sin makes you horribly filthy and unclean in God's eyes. Yeah. Then lying is the same as raping someone. Yeah. Because in evangelical terms, there's no differentiation between mortal sins and venial sins. Right. And, you know, that would automatically make it like, oh, of course you have to forgive them for, you know, raping you or, you know, slapping you around for 50 years. Yeah. Of course you have to forgive them. Mm-hmm. It's just a sin. Yeah. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's easy to say when you're not on the receiving end of exactly. it. Exactly. That's why it's so, it's terrible to say you have to forgive everyone, everything. Oh, yeah. Because those are totally inappropriate times to say, oh, you have to forgive them. Yeah, no. Yeah. And there there are ways around that. You can circumvent some of your own feelings in certain circumstances. It is possible right. to forgive some pretty heinous shit. Yeah. And there are people who can do it. Not everybody can. No. Sometimes it's necessary to try and get to a place where you can do that, but also have an escape route so that the person doesn't keep hurting you. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth toward the end. The next thing that I jotted down here is that forgiveness leaves us vulnerable. And some read accepting an apology as a sign of weakness. They also fear being reoffended by the same person if they can't facilitate some kind of punishment, usually emotional punishment upon the offender. So they withhold forgiveness so that the other person keeps feeling bad. And they feel like that kind of provides some semblance of balance, but it really doesn't. Yeah. There is also an enigmatic element of forgiveness that often makes the offender whole while leaving the offended person broken. And I've used this as an excuse to not forgive. Uh, I've thought about this. It's been, it's been something that's been in my mind. I don't want to say recently, but... When I recall certain situations with certain people, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to leave myself vulnerable to this person. And why should they be made whole by me forgiving them when I still have to carry the weight of what they did? Well, this goes back to staying in that mindset of I'm still processing this. And if you're there and you can't get past it, then you need to get help. But it's not a practical way to think about it. Like, okay, I'm going to make... I'm going to forgive them and make them whole and I'm just going to stay broken. No, you don't have to stay broken. It's not something that has to be an outgrowth of this. So keep that in mind when you're deciding that um, you can't afford to be vulnerable with this person. You don't ever necessarily have to forgive them to their face. You can just forgive them and move on with your life because they don't necessarily need to know. It's better if they do. It's better if amends are made where they're warranted. Right. But in this instance, it would be the other person who would have to make those amends. Mm -hmm. So if you are on the receiving end of any kind of abuse or anything along those lines, and you're afraid that forgiving that person is going to somehow make them whole, well, you can forgive them in your own head. You don't have to make a fanfare out of it, and you don't have to make a production of letting them know that they've been forgiven. It's a decision that you can make within your own head, and one that more times than not is going to be the better solution for you. And just a final note on that point, there's a difference between being broken and staying broken. Once the situation gets resolved, if it ever can be resolved, 
you can start healing. You can't start healing without the personal closure that forgiving creates. So do you want to spend the rest of your life processing it or do you want to get help figuring out how to get past it? And yeah, there's a little bit of a difference sometimes in getting past something and forgiving it. But I do think that a lot of times those things go hand in hand and that forgiveness is an outgrowth of that personal growth process that you go through. The last thing that I had on this particular little list is that you can't force yourself or anyone else to forgive. And I'm going to tell a little story about something that happened when I was a pretty young kid. Now, I've mentioned that um, my mother went through a couple of couple of phases where she was more plugged in with an evangelical crowd. And in one instance, I can remember that she was burning the candle at both ends. She was full-time student and she was working full-time as an LPN. And there were nights where I now my grandmother did most of the raising with me. I, I spent a lot of time with her, but there were a few instances where I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't be at her house that night. And there was this one family that my mother was familiar with that, you know, we, we were all pretty good friends. I like these people too. These are some of the good eggs that, that I think of, but this particular instance was not one of this guy's shining moments. So not to be gross, but his kid, one of his kids was a little bit too much of the typical boy was a little bit too obsessed with certain body functions. And at one point, this kid decided that it would be a good idea to just whip it out and piss on me. Wow. Yeah. It, it, I, I don't know. I still don't know wow. what the motivation was there. I don't even remember what the context of it was. All I know is that one minute we're running through a sprinkler and the next minute I'm being peed on. Wow. So needless to say, I was not happy about this. I wasn't happy at all that this was happening to me. No. So hearing the commotion coming from outside, this guy comes out and decides he's, well, as, as the parent figure in this situation, he had to mediate it. So first he wanted to know what was wrong. And I told him what his kid did and, and his reaction to it was to basically turn psychologist on me. And that bothered you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And you really, you were really offended by what he did, weren't you? Yes. But, Joe, do you believe in Jesus? I believe in Jesus. Jesus wants you to forgive. <laughs> Jesus wants you to forgive it. You know what? I'm his father. I will deal with him when it comes to any kind of punishment or retribution. He doesn't need that from you. What? And yeah. yeah. Wait. Now, this was one of the good eggs. Okay. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> I've, I'm like, I have never heard this story. It was an extreme example because this guy also did a lot of good for me in my life. But this was not one of those lessons. Not one of those good moments. It was not one of those lessons that you really wanted to take away and apply to the rest of your life. Okay? So his response was, I'm his father and I will deal with him in terms of retribution. Your job, if you love Jesus, is to simply forgive him. And he turned to the kid and said, have you apologized for what you did? And he said, no. He's like, I want you to apologize to Joe for what you did. So he apologized and it was a sincere enough apology. He was, he, he was penitent in the way that he presented his apology. 
He's like, I'm sorry I did that, Joe. And I just sort of looked at him. And I looked at this other guy. And he looked at me and said, now I want you to tell him that you accept his apology. Okay. You can't make somebody forgive. No. <laughs> you just can't. So I literally, I mean, I'm, I'm standing like many feet away from him because I don't want to get pissed on again. <laughs> I literally stomped up to him, fist clenched, and through gritted teeth said, I accept your apology. And this guy looks at me. He's like, that didn't seem very sincere. It didn't well, seem very Christ-like. Dude. <laughs> Like I'm still standing there drenched in your kid's piss. I can smell it on me. And I'm supposed to just stand there and tell him that I accept his apology. How about letting you go get a shower and then maybe you'll forgive him? Well, you know, that was the thing. It's like one, once I was in drier clothes and once I wasn't drenched in somebody else's piss, um, <laughs> it became a little bit clearer. And I was able to, at that point, bring it down to the point where it's like, okay, it was a stupid thing to do, but nobody died. Yeah. That sort of thing. But I and mean, it's like, I, and I, and I said to him in the most sincere voice that I could muster, I accept your apology, but don't do that to me ever again. Yeah. Right. Now you see, that's kind of a good, that's kind of a good balance yes. there because you forgive it, but you make sure that it's understood that what was done was not acceptable. Yeah. I'm not forgiving it so you can do it again. I'm forgiving it because I'm choosing to forgive it. And I expect that if you're as sorry as you say you are, that you're not going to do it again. Right. And that applies in a lot of areas of life. And it's a good litmus test for whether or not someone who is a habitual abuser is going to continuously abuse and offend you. They say that they're sorry. Okay, fine. I accept your apology, but I'm going to tuck this away and remember what happened here and remember the promises that you made so that when you break that promise, I can turn around and say, well, we've already had this conversation and maybe I'll choose to forgive them again. But at that point, it's time to put some distance. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. In this instance, nothing like that happened to me again. <laughs> I don't know what jumped into this kid's head <laughs> at that moment in time. He just thought that it would be the funniest thing to whip it out and piss on me. I just... What? It's it, it's just one of those things. And as I was writing down my notes, it just jumped right back into my head. So oh my there you go. God. That that story alone was worth, uh, was worth downloading this episode for, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Listening to Spider talk about the time he got pissed on. Oh. Um, but the bottom line is you can't force anyone else to forgive. No. And especially at that moment in the uh, in, in the heat of anger, telling like a nine or 10 year old kid that he now has to has to accept this kid's apology. It, it, it was ridiculous. I learned far better lessons from this guy. Yes, I'm sure you I, have. I learned far better lessons from this person. He was he was kind of a constant and he was there a lot when no one else was. Yeah. So I do rank him in there with the good eggs, but even good eggs, especially evangelical good eggs, have some rotten thoughts about things now and then. Yeah. And this was kind of a rotten thought. Mm. Let's talk, quick segue, let's get away from uh, topics that involve urine. 
Um, let's talk about the consequences of unforgiveness, but not from an evangelical standpoint, because as I was doing my research for this, I came across a lot of blog articles that outlined a lot of different consequences for unforgiveness that I swear, you know, I literally ranged from things like diarrhea to early death. And that, I mean, that that's that extreme evangelical wow. thinking for you. Cool. So I was definitely a little bit more anxious to find some secular opinions on this. And I found some. So some of the consequences of unforgiveness that you want to look out for. For starters, it harms relationships. And I think that the ways that it harms relationships is obvious here. Because holding a constant grudge against somebody, especially for offenses that are not life-changing, that are not life, um, that, that aren't um, permanently damaging, these can be really, really bad things, and they permeate a lot of families. Maybe not always immediate family, but, you know, there's, especially at this time of year, we're recording this in November, getting ready for Thanksgiving. And even though things are probably going to be a little bit different for 2020 for a lot of people, this right. is the time of year when people start getting together and they get together with relatives that they don't like. Who enjoys sitting around its table with relatives who have been feuding like Hatfields and McCoys for 20 years? Mm -hmm. Okay. It does nothing but harm. It makes you not want to even experience Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever it is, because you know that these two are going to be locking horns. So it does a lot of damage. And if it's somebody in your immediate family, it does even more because now you're seeing this person every day and you're just reliving and reliving and reliving the thing that hurt you. And even if it's insignificant when it happens, it can mushroom into this major thing inside your head over time. So when you have to live with somebody, it's even worse. This is where a lot of marital issues emerge is when someone does something petty, the other person takes it the wrong way. And it changes the dynamic and not for the better. So not only does it harm your relationships, it also harms your health. And you know what? I told you about the real extreme examples, diarrhea and, you know, early death. But there are definite health considerations to whether or not you are going to forgive. Depression, extreme anger suicidal thoughts, all of these things can lead to serious health issues and all of them stem from the stress of reliving hurt. So again, how bad was the offense? Is it possible to forgive it? Is it appropriate to forgive it? If the answers to those questions are yes, then spare yourself the ulcers hmm. and start dealing with it. Next, you get too comfortable with the power of holding something over the offender. Oh, this is a big one for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. The biggest problems with this is that that sense of power has a tendency to make you arrogant and very closed-minded, and it can project your ill feelings in one situation toward one person onto others. Have you ever gone into a store or gone to a restaurant and the person serving you seems a little bit off and you can tell that they've been having a bad night? Well... What they're doing is they're projecting all the bad experiences that they've had with other customers, other patrons, whatever, onto you because you're there. Mm. And 
that other person isn't anymore. It's the exact same principle that goes into this. You start projecting your ill feelings in one situation toward one person onto everybody that you come into contact with. So your unforgiveness turns you kind of into an angry asshole. And that's never a good place to be. I know precisely what that's like. And I know what the consequences of holding grudges can do to you. It is very, very, very ugly. I'm just going to put that out there. Mm -hmm. I wear my heart on my sleeve a lot on this show. And I think that it's important that people understand that the voice coming through their speakers is attached to a human being. And I've made a lot of mistakes and this is one of them. And I can tell you, it's just not worth it. Another outgrowth of it is that you become less tolerant of people in lots of ways. You start expecting perfection from other people and respond with anger and judgment when they fall short. This was me too. In major, major ways. Forgiveness helps us keep a more balanced perspective on things and allows us to allow others a little slack once in a while. And that's necessary. Lastly, you're usually the only one who suffers when you harbor unforgiveness, when you harbor anger toward people. The offender roams free while you stay locked up in your own emotional prison. It hurts you more than it does them if you don't forgive them. So those are some of the consequences of unforgiveness. Now let's look at some of the benefits of being a forgiving person by nature or learning how to forgive. When you learn to forgive, you develop a heightened and positive sense of self or a more positive sense of self. You took the moral high ground in the situation. Good for you. You pardon someone's bad behavior with no promise or expectation that it will benefit you in any tangible way. And that's the way that it is sometimes. Just like I was talking about before, you can forgive somebody in your own head But that doesn't always provide you with the closure that you want. You know what? To quote Mick Jagger, you can't always get what you want. And it's just that simple. The benefit is in how you feel when you opt to forgive. You just flat out feel better about you. And feeling better about you is important. Because that's what most of forgiveness is. It's more about you than it is about the other person. Another benefit of forgiveness is a heightened sense of mental stability and clarity. You have the ability to think things through more efficiently and look at them more objectively. And these are very, very important skills to develop, especially if you're coming out of evangelical faith, because these are not things that you are taught when you're in the thick of it. You're not taught to think that way. You're not taught to look at what the personal benefits are of forgiveness beyond the fact that you won't be thrown into hell. Hmm. That's the only benefit that Matthew 18 really gives you. But there's so much more to it. There are so many more reasons to learn how to have a more forgiving nature. Lastly, you'll be a much better social functioning individual if you start learning how to forgive. You'll like yourself better. And subsequently, you'll like other people more too, to a greater or lesser extent. There's, there's, there's a lot of unlikable people out there, but you get better at uh, winnowing the wheat from the chaff when it comes to people and who they are and what they're about. And along those lines, you'll also be able to spot bullshit a mile away and hopefully steer clear before any of this even becomes an issue in the first place most of the time. So you'll get better at judging people because you'll be looking at them more objectively and you'll start noticing signs 
you know, another person in my life behaved like this or talked to me like this or treated me like this and it ended badly. So let's just not go any further with this person that it's, it's uh, important in all levels of relationships, platonic, romantic, whatever. It's important that you start seeing those signs. And if you are wired for forgiveness, it's easier to see them. And it's easier to make the intellectual decision to forgive and move on. We talked about the consequences. We talked about the benefits. There are a few cautionary items here that I think also need to be addressed. For starters, don't apply the 70 times 7 principle to forgiveness. Forget the whole concept of 70 times 7. It makes no sense. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to forgive 490 times and stop. Well, obviously, that's not what it means. It was very hyperbolic. And it was meant to communicate that forgiveness is an ongoing thing, that it's not something that you get to stop doing. But the 70 times 7 principle is neither practical nor healthy. Limit the number of times another person exposes you to wrongdoing, abuse, or any kind of treatment designed to keep you under their thumb. Forgiveness for forgiveness sake doesn't help anyone. No one learns No one grows, no one changes when it's just a given that forgiveness is a built-in part of the equation. And it also teaches abusers to go on abusing. You can forgive someone and still put them out of your life if the person is toxic or abusive and has proven an inability to adjust the offensive behaviors. Refusing to stay with an abusive partner or continue being victimized by someone in other ways is not the same as refusing to forgive. Let me say that again. Refusing to stay with an abusive partner or continue being victimized by someone in other ways is not the same as refusing to forgive. Yes, forgive them, but protect yourself. Forgiveness is not the same thing as naivety. If the person is likely to reoffend and their behavior is in any way harmful to you, it's time to, quote, forgive and forget. Forgive the behavior and forget about continuing the relationship. Oh, and it's possible and completely okay to continue loving an abuser. We love for a lot of crazy reasons. We get trauma bonded to someone. We ooze over with empathy that is neither warranted nor helpful in assisting the abuser to become a better person. We enjoy being around them when their abusive behaviors aren't manifesting. And all of this is fine. Using these things as excuses to stick around and keep being abused, however, isn't. And you've got to get that straight in your head. It is Very, very important that you get that principle straight in your head. You can love them and still not have them in your life. And sometimes it's necessary. Now, those of us, if you're like me, then you'll you'll definitely be able to relate to this. Those of us who tend to love hard when we love fall into this trap all the time. And we start thinking things like forgiveness is forgiveness. I have to stay or I have to let this person be in my life. Otherwise, I'm not really forgiving them. Well, no, 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 no. Erase the debt, but also close the account and keep the transaction on your ledger. Never forget that you have the right to be both safe and happy in your relationships. And if you aren't, you shouldn't be there. Forget what your pastor or anybody else in your church tells you about divorce or leaving someone over anything. Okay, because their advice is going to be to forgive it and go back for another round. And that is neither healthy nor practical. There's nothing wrong with divorce when it's warranted. There's nothing wrong with fleeing 
an abusive relationship to ensure your own well-being or the well-being of your children or whatever. This is not unforgiveness. Let me say it again. This is not unforgiveness. It's intelligence and it's survival. Oh, and that person won't change if you go back or stick around and tough it out for one more round. They just won't. They'll change when they accept help. And they might seek help when they realize what they've lost, but it isn't very likely. In other words, most of them will never change. And nearly none will make the effort to change to earn someone else's approval. It's easier to just go find a new victim and start over. Don't offer forgiveness to someone and still harbor a grudge. This is very important. Honesty can lead to healing much faster than lying about your feelings ever will. I don't even know how to process all this, and I'm not ready to forgive you yet. Please leave me alone so I can sort all this out. That's a much more practical way of dealing with it than just giving them lip service and saying, I forgive you, while that thought is running through your head. Vocalize it. Make sure the other person knows that you're hurt and that it matters that you're hurt. It may not matter to them, right? but make sure that you communicate that it matters to you because you're the one that counts in this situation. You're the one holding the cards. It's up to you to forgive or not forgive. And make sure that they understand that you are exercising your option to forgive them, but it is just that. It is an option. It is not something that you are obligated to do. In short, the truth heals and lies harm. Remember that. Don't lie to the person who offended you and tell them that you forgave them. And don't lie to yourself about whether or not you've forgiven them. It's okay not to, at least initially. There are certain things out there that just take a lot of working through. And you're obligated to do the work here. They're not going to. And it's the sad truth. Most of the time, they're going to do nothing to improve themselves. It's up to you to take that step of feeling better about you and not worrying so much about them. So I want to steer just a little bit toward the uh, former and present evangelicals who listen to the show and who struggle with the concept of forgiveness. For starters, I totally get this. I understand where the disconnect is in a lot of this, and I understand the helplessness of feeling like you have to forgive all the time. But here's the thing. If this is something that matters to you, If this is really something that matters to you in your life and in your mind, and it bothers you that you have issues in this area, you are light years beyond most of the other people that adhere to this faith. Because like we talked about last week, there are so few people out there that adhere to the tenets of their faith to the point where they are actually following anything that the Bible says about anything that a lot of these conversations, to to a greater or lesser extent, they seem moot. But if you're one of those good eggs, if you're one of those people who has spent a significant amount of time in your life trying to make a go of this religion and trying to do it right, I'm certain that this is a real point of confusion for you. It's a real stopping point in your thought life, and that's okay. But I want to talk to those who struggle with the concept of forgiveness, whether you are still an evangelical or you're out or you're trying to get out. It's no surprise to me that you have issues in this area. 
It's no surprise that many of you, either by intention or through unconscious action, are so good at being awful to your fellow Christians in particular. And I think that in a lot of instances, that awfulness and ugliness is not something that is intentioned. It is something that comes out as a matter of conditioning. So I'll put that out there. We were all taught in this thing called evangelical faith that forgiveness is mandatory, 70 times seven and beyond if necessary. But no one ever bothered to consider the psychology of forgiving when thrusting these standards and rules upon us. No one in our lives even allowed us to consider that sometimes it's not possible or even appropriate to forgive. Christian doctrine is so black and white that it almost always leaves the believer in the dust with no other alternative than to, quote, give it over to Jesus when we get hurt, abused, or legitimately offended. Forgive and move on is the solution each and every time. What if it's not that simple? Because it usually isn't. And what if it's not practical? Because it often isn't. And what if it's just something that you can't do? Well, if you believe Matthew 18, you're up shit creek but you're not. The way Christianity forces us to think about forgiveness almost guarantees that our problems never get solved. We face abuse and lying and deceitfulness and even general rudeness and mistreatment and see no other recourse than to forgive and carry the weight of it ourselves because, as we talked about a few minutes ago, it's a very level playing field when it comes to sin and evangelical faith. After all, I mean, we, we have to forgive. We have to forgive because we want to go to heaven. So we just better do it. Weigh the severity of the offense and ask yourself if there is a foreseeable way through the anger and the hurt. If the answer is yes, strive to see both sides and make the conscious choice to begin the process of healing. The ability to forgive will be an outgrowth of that. Now, to those of us who are out or are on our way out and still grapple with concepts like this, still grapple with doing forgiveness the right way. I can remember, and I was very young when it happened, but Steve Taylor also did a song about it, a song called To Forgive, where he talked about this one very newsworthy thing from the early 80s where Pope John Paul II, was there, there, was, there was an attempt on his life. And the would-be assassin was caught and sentenced to death and it was all over the news and there were images all over the news of the pope sitting there and holding this man's hand and forgiving him before he was brought to execution and it's a touching moment it was a very touching moment when pope john all the second held that person's hand and forgave him in front of the entire world but here's the thing the idyllic nature of the exchange in that instant didn't take into account the real feelings, emotions, or intentions of the forgiver. We have no idea what was going on in his mind. It could have been nothing but a PR move. We don't know. It's easy to put on the game face in front of a global audience, but what about when it's just you? You in the quiet and you with your own thoughts and nothing else. What happens then? In those instances, I think it's very important to let yourself feel all the feels and weigh the potential emotional consequences of both forgiving and not. I think you'll find that just the intellectual concept of the former is more appealing than the latter. The concept and notion of forgiving feels better in and of itself. 
than the notion of harboring a grudge for years and years and years. Also remember that forgiveness isn't contingent on making yourself vulnerable to the offender. You can and should, in many cases, forgive and then just walk away. Cut off any and all avenues to being hurt again. It's not a contradiction. It's not a lie. That person will suffer no further consequence or retaliation from you. That's the thing about forgiveness. Again, it's way more about you than it is about the other person. That person isn't going to change. Understand this and hear it again. That person is not at all likely to change. In 99.9% of circumstances, they will not. And you need to figure out a way to be okay with that. Find peace in that fact. Be the better person. Treat the offender better than they treated you. Trust me. It feels way better than holding a grudge. You don't have to grovel at them. You don't have to laud their behavior. You don't even have to like them. But forgiving them in and of itself gives you the moral high ground. And it feels better. It feels better to forgive the person, at least in circumstances that are not life-altering. And I know that there have been a lot of people that have gone through a lot of shit and have been hurt really, really badly by people. I still think that it feels better to try and find that off-ramp to to all those negative emotions. There's a lot of benefit to it. The Apostle Paul may like to tell you that love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13. But that record of wrongs could be the very thing that keeps you from going back to being wronged again. Keep it tucked away and refer to it when you start thinking the offender might deserve a second chance. Do not, however, use it as a weapon against them. If you're doing that, you haven't forgiven anything. But the whole concept of forgiving and forgetting is almost never healthy. You need to remember what happened, and you need to remember why it was necessary to to make the moves that you did, especially if it meant a relationship ended or you had to distance yourself from a person. You don't toss it back in their face, but you do remember. Keeping no record of wrongs is not a healthy way to approach forgiveness. Keep it tucked away and refer to it when necessary, but don't throw it away. Now, for lesser offenses, those non-life-changing things that we've talked about a couple times, strive to be honest and let yourself see forgiveness as a process, not a decision. Assert your need for space, but then take the time to sort out what happened and try to reconcile the details in your head. It's impossible to be truly objective when you've been hurt or offended, but if the effects of the offense aren't likely to have lifelong consequence, consider whether or not it's easier to figure out how to forgive than it is to carry the weight of the offense forever. And two things popped into my head when I was jotting down that note. First one is the beginning of Karate Kid 2. And Mr. Miyagi has Crease on his knees and could easily have bested him or killed him. And Daniel asks him why he didn't. It's like, you, you could have killed that guy. Why didn't you? And Mr. Miyagi's answer was because for a person with no forgiveness in his heart, living is worse punishment than death. Just let that sink in for a sec. I mean, yeah, it's a campy line from an 80s movie, but it does make a lot of sense. And then, oddly enough, the other thing that jumped into my head, we did a lot of vilifying of Christian lyrics from the 80s last week, but sometimes they get it right. And Randy Stonehill, in his song, The Gods of Men, 
gets this really, really, really right. There's a line in that song that says, I used to dream of tasting vengeance, wanted my enemies to crawl in sweat. Well, my happiness was drained from reliving all the pain. Now I'm learning to forgive and forget. Now that last part, again, take that with a grain of salt. Forgetting isn't always the best solution, but forgiving by and large is, and we should practice that whenever we can, because if we don't, we'll be less happy and we won't really know ourselves. We'll never have the opportunity to get to know ourselves because we'll be too fixated on the wrongs that have been done to us by other people. There comes a point where it's just time to let it go. People who learn how to forgive are typically happier, they're more objective in the way they think, and they're more empathetic. They also recognize their own shortcomings and understand the need to seek forgiveness for themselves when they screw up. And guess what, folks? We all screw up with other people sometimes. We're all on the giving end of the offense once in a while. Stop taking your cues from a set of moral standards that contradicts itself over and over and over again and fails to acknowledge the human aspect of the rules it expects you to follow. No loving God, no loving God would place standards on you that are impossible for you to maintain. A loving God would understand you and your psychology and would do better than thumbing you a useless Bronze Age tome with conflicting points of view to help you navigate your emotions. Period. End of story. A loving God would do way better by his children. So here's a solution for you. Take God out of the equation. Just take him out of the equation and let your human side have its say in how you deal with various situations. Forgive when it's warranted. Protect yourself from further harm. And be honest with yourself about your own emotional limits. If you find yourself trapped in a never-ending maze of emotions that never lead to resolution, seek help in sorting those things out. A good therapist can help unravel the maze. And I can tell you from experience that this is 100% true. Learning to forgive will teach you more about yourself than unforgiveness ever will, than holding grudges ever will, than worrying about what some God thinks about anything that's going on inside your head ever will. It'll make you happier. It'll make you healthier. And most of all, and most importantly, it's a huge step that you'll be taking toward getting and staying unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.